Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I'm thankful today for many things, but one of them, as I stand here in this pulpit, is I'm thankful for a man who's going to preach this morning, who's not me, uh, Matthew Von Herbulus, who's seated behind me. He'll be here in a moment. Matthew, as you may know, was here last year. Matthew is an Episcopalian. He is from Florida. He's an American, but he's working with his wife, Carly, and their two young children, four and two years old, uh, Hallie and Shepard. They are working in Rwanda to teach sustainable ag, agriculture. And he was here last year, as you may recall, he's going to be preaching the word this morning for us and telling us a little bit about what he's doing. Um, But I'm thankful to have him here because I believe, as I'll get to in the announcements, I believe very strongly in his mission and his vocation and what he's doing, and I believe in him, and I think he's doing a fabulous job, and I am very thankful to have him here with us today. So, my brothers and sisters... uh, Let's welcome Matthew Von Herbulus, and he's going to share the word with us this morning. Matthew, come on up. Thank you so much, Father Chris. Um, and, uh, and let me say a thank you to this church for the support you've had of our ministry and for making our work possible. I'll get in, uh, into what we do a little bit in today's message. Um, but there is a lot in, in today's texts. Um, in, in today as we celebrate Christ the King. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time with an introduction other than to just say thank you. Um, I love our work. Um, I'm seeing a great impact from it, and it wouldn't be possible without the support of churches and communities, especially this one. So let me dive right into our message, right into the texts from today. Today we come together to celebrate Christ the King. This is Christ the King Sunday. Many of you, I expect, know that. That is what we are here to proclaim. But I'm going to ask the question this morning, what does it mean when we proclaim Christ is King? What are we doing? What does it count for? And I'm going to jump right in. I've just got two points for us this morning, um, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to dive right into them because there's a lot I would like to say on these, and I want to use our time well. So the first point is this. When we proclaim Christ is King, what that means, what we are saying, first of all, is that Caesar is not that Caesar is not Lord, Caesar is not King. We need to understand the context uh, at which the disciples and the early believers were going around saying, Jesus is Lord. See, this flew in the face of a common saying in that culture, and that was that Caesar is Lord. That was the commonly held belief. That was the phrase that they were hijacking. There's a lot more to saying Jesus is Lord when we understand that context. We can relate to this as if I stand up here and I say, all lives matter. A few years ago, that wouldn't have meant all that much. Everyone would comfortably nod their head. There wouldn't be this tension that I can palpably feel in the room right now um, because all lives matter is also making a negative statement. It's hijacking another statement. Well, that's what the disciples were doing. That's what the early believers were doing. When they said Jesus is Lord, they were holding themselves and Jesus up and against this kingdom of the world. Because to say Jesus is king is to acknowledge another kingdom, a kingdom that we are, in fact, uh, in, in opposition to. 
So while Caesar is Lord might not be... Um, might not be our saying of the day that we're standing against. When we say Jesus is Lord, we do have to acknowledge that we are making negative statements as well. We are saying, money is not my Lord. We are saying, my government is not my Lord. And we all have to, have to confess, we all have to acknowledge that as we say Jesus is Lord, that means I am not Lord. It means I am not my own king. I no longer am my authority over myself. On the flip side, we get to hang on to these promises that to say Jesus is king also means that pain is not my king. Fear is not my king. And shame is not my king. Jesus, Jesus is the king. We have to make this contrast because the kingdom of heaven is in conflict with the kingdom of this world. In, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, uh, Paul and Silas have been going around proclaiming this gospel, and they come into a community. Uh, the community is not happy that they're there. They can't find Paul and Silas at the moment, but they come and they take James and the other believers there, um, and they, they bring them in for judgment. And what they say is, these guys are housing Paul and Silas, and they, they define Paul and Silas in this way. They say, they're those guys who are going around, they say, turning the world upside down saying that there is another king whose name is Jesus. They say they are turning our world upside down, proclaiming that there's this other king, this other kingdom, whose king is Jesus. You see, in, in the kingdom of God, we find ourselves in, in conflict here and now because the kingdom of this world is governed by power. The kingdom of this world is governed by a belief in scarcity and this idea in gross competition the kingdom of this world is governed by fear. But Jesus comes proclaiming a kingdom that is governed instead by meekness. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. He says whoever wants to be great must make himself a servant of all. That is the way of our kingdom in Christ. He comes saying, I have come that you would have a life of abundance rather than scarcity and competition in the kingdom of God. We are encouraged to cooperate and to serve and against fear, our kingdom teaches love. We find ourselves in a, a difficult position then because we don't see this kingdom around us. We see the kingdom of this world. We see the ways of this world. We say things like, that's just the way it is. These ways of God, that's not how it works here. What can we do? But we serve and live in what is a hidden kingdom, a kingdom that's already here in the form of a seed, a seed that's already being spread and growing like a weed. The kingdom of heaven is here now. It's already stirring. It's already among us. And so when we say Jesus is king, we are acknowledging and we have to be proclaiming that we live by different rules. We live by the way of the kingdom of God as it is here. And it is our work to be bringing that kingdom about. I shared a similar sermon to this several years ago, specifically on the idea of abundance and meekness. And anytime you're preaching to, to adults, um, contrary to preaching in youth groups with adults, I have no idea if you're listening or not. Um, <laughs> it's very hard to tell whether you're awake at times. I love, on that note, I love like head nods and, and smiles. And if I speak heresy up here, I'll encourage you to go ahead and stand up. We'll, we'll hash it out. I love to know that you're awake. But in this particular context, after, uh, after my sermon, I was 
it was confirmed that at least one person was listening as someone came from the congregation after and they said, you know, if I do my job with meekness, I'll get fired. That's not the way ahead in this world. That's not the way for me to get the raise or promotion that I'm looking for. I was encouraged to know that he was listening, but I had no real encouragement to offer him back other than to say that he was in good company. Indeed, when Jesus came proclaiming the new kingdom, uh, he was not enthroned in this world. When the disciples said Jesus is king, they did not get raises and promotions. They did not find themselves in high positions of office. In fact, it cost them their lives. Our promise of comfort, our promise of rewards are not necessarily in this world, but in the kingdom that is to come, in the kingdom that paradoxically to this world, victory comes through defeat. I mean, in what other kingdom? It certainly doesn't fit in this kingdom that we sent our king like a lamb to the slaughter, and when he was slain, we proclaimed victory. We proclaimed victory over sin. We proclaimed victory over the kingdoms and the powers of this world through the death of our king and his resurrection. So that's the first point. When we, what does it mean to say Christ is king? It means to say that Caesar is not. Secondly, when we say Christ is king, it means that we have work to do. I don't know if you heard in our passage from Revelation this morning in chapter 1, verse 6, it says he has established us to be a kingdom of priests to serve God the Father. You see, in this kingdom, there are no lay people, there are no citizens. We are tasked with work to do. And this is my work in Rwanda. So as we said, I, I, I live and serve with my family in Rwanda. We've been there for about two and a half years now. And I was invited in to invest in agriculture in our rural churches. I spent the first year assessing needs in the community. I farmed some land myself. I met with farmers, I met with other agricultural organizations to assess what the needs were, uh, and what I assessed in that year was quite surprising uh, and was quite a unique take on the situation. You see, in Rwanda, the land is certainly degraded, but it's, it's good land, it's a good climate, and it's capable of producing well. With a little bit of care, the land can bounce back quickly. And the farmers, contrary to what seems to be popular belief, the farmers are quite smart and they're capable of the creative innovations necessary to farm their land well. So we have good land with smart farmers on it, but it's producing very poor yields, and malnutrition is a significant problem in our rural churches, in our rural communities. And so I assessed the problem was this. It was actually much deeper. It was a cultural problem, and at its root, a theological problem. See, our farmers come to their job in shame. Society views farming and rural living um, as, as the underbelly. It's what everyone is trying to get away from. We have this saying in the market, if you're haggling with someone, that the, the seller might say to you, man, if I sell it to you for that, I'll have to go back to the hoe. There's this phrase, back to the hoe, um, that that kind of work represents the bottom. That's where everyone started and what everyone is trying to get away from. So what motivation is there for smart farmers on good land to farm well if their culture, their community is telling them that their work doesn't matter? And Rwanda's 90% Christian. I'm there working with the church, and this is no different within the church. So I say this is a theological problem. If you believe that the gospel is just that Jesus came so that we can go to heaven after we die, then sure, farming doesn't matter. In fact, most of our day-to-day -day activities have no significance at all. Why would Jesus not just take us away the moment we convert? 
And you see this too in the fact that in Rwanda and most of, of Africa, pastors are highly venerated. Sure, if that's the gospel, they're the only ones doing work of any significance at all in the long run. But we come in teaching this. Instead, if the gospel is that God is working through Jesus to restore a right, loving relationship between himself, people, and all of creation, then farmers find themselves right at the heart of the mission of God. If we are invited not just as beneficiaries, not just as recipients of grace, but as active participants in the gospel, then our work matters. Farming matters. Your day-to-day work matters. And when you go in and you come to poor farmers who live in shame, who have been seen as charity cases, um, and you instead tell them, no, God is doing an important work in the world, and he has equipped you and called you to participate in that work, to participate in building and revealing the kingdom of God here, what happens is you restore dignity, you restore hope, and farmers then go out as ministers. That's what we do. There's some technical training involved. There's a lot of things involved in our program, but at the heart of it is this core belief that farming is a ministry to God, to our neighbors, and to the land itself. And when you equip farmers in that way, you see the world turn upside down. We're seeing poor farmers who are giving and serving sacrificially in their communities, who are taking excess from their, their, their vegetable crops, and rather than selling it to create more security for their family, they're giving it to their poor neighbors and teaching them how to do vegetable gardens. We have our groups of farmers organically gathering themselves into these community service projects where they'll go on the weekends and help prepare the fields of members in their community who aren't physically capable of doing so. These are no longer farmers who are just trying to survive, who have a job and are trying to get through this life. Rather, they are ministers of the gospel who are using their day-to-day work to proclaim Jesus is King. So I ask you the same questions we ask our farmers on a weekly basis. What does it look like to be a minister of the gospel who is an accountant? How do these principles matter when you go as a realtor, as a mechanic, as a mother, as a father? What does it look like to be proclaiming Christ is King in your day-to-day lives? Because this is what we are called to. And it's important that we recognize we're not just here to proclaim Christ is King in this building on Sunday, one day a year, but we have to live as though Christ is our King when we go out there. This is significant because you might have noticed from the passage there's a bit of sting There's a bit of a bite to some of our passages this morning. The kingship of Christ is not good news to everyone. In Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 7, the next verse after what I referenced earlier, um, it says, On his account, that is Christ the King, on his account, people from every tribe will wail. For those who are kings in this kingdom... For those who have made themselves comfortable beneficiaries of this kingdom, the coming of Christ the King means your dethronement. This transition of government that will come when Christ's kingdom is fully realized here, if you have made yourself comfortable, if you have made yourself a beneficiary of the power, of the competition, of the fear, then this is not going to be a comfortable transition for you. 
But if you are among those who are proclaiming Christ in here and living with Christ as their king in their daily lives, then indeed Christ the king is something to celebrate and the coming kingdom is something to celebrate. So ultimately, what does it mean to proclaim Christ as king? Not much. Not much if we're only saying that in here. But if we go out there and proclaim that Christ is the king in how we live our lives and how we interact with our community, if we take on our task as ministers in this new kingdom, then it means a lot. How do we proclaim it out there? Well, it means that we are living for a different kingdom, and it means that we are actively involved in the work that we have to do. How do we proclaim Christ is king in our daily lives? When we are confronted with power, when we are confronted with strength and force, but we respond with meekness and humility, when we position ourselves with the vulnerable, when we turn the other cheek, we are proclaiming, Jesus is my king. When the world tells you to compete, when the world tells you to take and to grab for yourself, but instead you serve and you choose to give, you are proclaiming, Jesus is my king. And when the world holds someone up as your enemy, who you are to fear, but instead you turn to that person in love, you are proclaiming, Jesus is my king. I don't live by the rules of this world, and I don't care what it costs me here. I'm living for the kingdom that is coming, and I'm taking seriously my task to build and grow that kingdom here and now. So together this morning, we're going to proclaim that Christ is king as we share in the Eucharist together. We're going to proclaim that Christ is king as we pray, as we recite the creed, as we sing songs. But my challenge to you, my challenge to myself, is that as we go out that door this week, we don't stop proclaiming, Jesus is my king. And let the world know it, let them see it by a life that is transformed by that fact. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.